0: welcome to the third city christian church podcast this week's message is clarity part five the authentic man recorded sunday june 11th 2023 if you have a story about how god is working in your life please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org now here's josh with today's message well good morning third city if you're joining us in the room or joining us online it is good to be with you today um Sam Rayburn was an American politician that served during the Second World War. Uh, he was regarded in his biography as to be a man of integrity, character, hard work that would not shy away from work when it needed to be done. And uh, a part of his biography, it recalled the time that he was taken to college by his father in 1900. It said that his father hitched up a wagon um, him and his son went to the train station, and uh, as they sat there waiting for the train, you could imagine the, uh, the probably the jokes that were said, the things that were pointed out, the awkward silences of a son knowing that he was leaving and a father that was watching his son go. And in his biography, it states that as the train arrived, uh, Sam got up, grabbed his gunny sack uh, to get on the train to head off to college. His father grabbed his hand um, and put $25 in it and looked him in the eye and said, Sam, be a man. And I think about those, those compelling words that probably shook, shook both of them. A father not knowing what to say at the pivotal moment where he may or may not ever see his son ever again. Uh, A son wondering what piece of wisdom his father would leave. And in combination, growing up in poverty, knowing that the sacrifice that his father had made to put $25 in his hand as he commissioned him to be a man. And I'm guessing those words rang true through Sam's life as he was faced with huge decisions, as he was faced with uh, critical moments. He probably went back to that moment in that train station, and he could probably see where the, what the lighting looked like. He could probably feel the air again and, and see the look in his father's eyes as he's faced with decisions, seeing his, his father look at him and go, Sam, be a man. Uh, this morning to offer any kind of clarity you guys, on what it means to authentically live as a man is extremely intimidating. Uh, there's moments where you stand here and you feel like everybody can see completely through you. And they see all of your mistakes, they see all of the shortcomings in your own life. And, and that's where I kind of where I stand today. and much of what I'm going to share with you is truth from Scripture experience from my own life and a lot of content from a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight that was written by Robert Lewis. Uh, Robert Lewis was a a pastor, author, and a a developer of a curriculum called The Quest for Authentic Manhood that shaped a lot of how I viewed my own masculinity, how I raised my children, and it's also shaped the masculinity of numerous men within our church, and it's something that's available on Right Now Media if you want to explore that And so as I'm looking at this discussion on what it means to be a man, I was like, you know what? We could just talk chromosomes. We just talk the XY chromosome. But none of us would hold our infant sons up, present them to the world, right, and go, behold, a man, right? It would be foolishness you would never think of doing that. None of you would, would uh, walk through the lunchrooms of our local middle schools, observe, observe the behavior of 12-year-old boys stealing french fries and shoving uh, uh, hot dog buns in the backpacks of their neighbors and go, behold, the men. Right? It's become so confusing what it means to be a man. I mean, do we talk about the chromosomes? Do we talk about uh, when, a, when a boy reaches reproductive maturity? Is it when you get your driver's license? I will tell you there are a lot of male idiots behind the wheel that are uh, 49 years old. There's one that's 45 right here. Let a, you know. So when, does it, when do we decide that a boy has become a man? Is it when they can enlist in the military? Is it when they can drink a beer? Is it what determines... Manhood, it's become more of a vague concept than a definitive line in the lives of our young men. And the reason it's important, you heard Rachel allude to it, it's important to everybody in this room because the, the status and development and the role of men in our culture has an impact on everyone. It has an impact on our homes, It has an impact on our jobs, it has an impact on our church, it has an impact on our entire society, the way that men grow and develop and step into manhood and what kind of manhood they step into. And this having a clear vision for what that should be is actually crucial because when a man is confused about his role, there's a term that Robert Lewis uses, it's called a man will drift. And a drifting man is dangerous. A drifting man is dangerous to himself. A drifting man is dangerous to the people around him. It's why 80% of people that are incarcerated in our society are men. It's because when they lack vision and they lack God-given direction, men become dangerous to society. This last fall, I I spent a few days with some youth ministers my age. Yes, they do still exist. There's a few of us with gray hair that love hanging out with middle school and high school students. And we're having this great discussion about masculinity, manhood, and what it means to be a man. And this, this friend of mine happened to be from South Africa. And the idea of the transition into manhood was very simple for him. He goes, there's no question when that happened in my culture i go tell me more about that he goes well when boys would reach a certain age around a certain age he said so it wasn't a defined line the elders of the city or the tribe or the village would then declare that it's time for another cohort of boys to become men and and they would they would point them out and they would present them with the opportunity and the boy had to agree to it and step into it and what would happen is those boys would gather their belongings and prepare for a trip to the top of a mountain. And they would travel up to the top of the mountain with the other men of the village. Every man of the village would go. When they got to the top of the mountain, one of the elders would then circumcise every young boy of that tribe that was not yet a man. And the boys were then commissioned to stay on top of the mountain until they had been, until they were completely healed, medically speaking. And like, I know some of you moms are sitting here going, barbarians. What in the world? And like, I was like thinking about it, and I was going, man, I, I've done some crazy stuff to incite manhood into my kids. I, this isn't one of the things that I've, like, I've ventured out to do with them. I go, and, and I go, tell me more. He goes, well, they wouldn't just leave them there. Every day, a group of men from the village would bring supplies, would come up, would check on the wounds, and would speak manhood into the lives of those boys. They would explain what it meant to be a son, what it meant to be a brother, what it means to be a friend, a husband, a father, an employee, an employer. They would spend days, sometimes weeks, as their sons were healing, every day a new group of men would come up and explain to them what it meant to be a man. And I was like, man, that's really cool. But I looked at him and I go, Sims, I go, why would a boy do this? And I'm going to do my best to do an impersonation of my friend Sims because it was very funny. He got very serious because I asked permission. I, I just, I wanted to know more about this. He goes, it was very simple. Until you went through that ceremony, you were viewed as a boy. It was not until you had come down from the mountain that you were a man. And I go, tell me more about what that means. And he, said, he explained it this way. Whenever the village would gather, boys were not allowed to sit with the men. And so you could have 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old boys that were still sitting with six, seven, and eight-year-old boys. That would be incredibly embarrassing. The whole village would know that you had not gone through the ceremony and designated and set apart with a vision and purpose as a man. And even more so, dads of daughters, you're going to love this. If any of those boys would even approach a woman to date or to marry... It was so intense, this culture of manhood, that the women would look at her, look at the boy and go, why would I even consider dating you? You're not even a man. Because that boy had not been given a compelling vision and how to respect, honor, and live as a man of the tribe, The, the women wouldn't even consider dating according. He said that was some of the motivating factor, right? for these men to understand and commission what manhood was to be. And so I think about this and the authenticity of men and how it impacts the world around us and how we answer the question of what it means to be a man, what it means to be an authentic man. the better way to approach this question, I think, is we, we know when we see it, incorrectly in our culture. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy for us to go, that is not manly behavior. Uh, And and the more that I asked people, it wasn't designated by an age, it was designated by a mindset. It was designated by behaviors that were internalized and lived out in the culture around them. And I feel like in Genesis chapter 3, we get a really good opportunity to see what manhood doesn't look like. And Scripture doesn't shade our eyes from the mistakes of God's people, and we see this in Genesis chapter 3. It says, "'Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "'Did God really say, "'You must not eat from any tree in the garden?' When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I see in one sentence the first man, Adam fail in every aspect of authentic manhood that God had placed upon him to live in obedience in the Garden of Eden in one sentence I hear a lot of men read this uh, account of Genesis and whether jokingly or halfway serious going look at the woman, look at what the woman did look at what the woman did and I don't see it that way at all and it's because of verse 6. She gave some to her husband who was with her. And I think about that. He was with her as they approached the tree. He was with her as the father of lies, Satan, the enemy, lied and deceived their hearts. He was with her as she reached and took the fruit. He was with her during this whole time, and Adam chose to reject authentic manhood as God had commissioned him in this one moment. We see this pattern of passivity when, with Adam just standing by and watching. At any moment, he could have stepped in. He could have said, come on, we need to go away. This isn't right. Don't listen to him. He's a liar. At any moment, he could have, like, uh, like, like, in a, like a, I picture the, the fruit, you know, it's always portrayed as an apple coming towards Eve's mouth. It could have been like one of those NBA rejection shots. He could have come in and just smacked it away and been like, we're not doing this. But he watched. And I think about how that passivity is played out in our culture. How sometimes as, as men... We've followed Adam's example, and we see the good that ought to be done. And the phrase we use is, I'm sure somebody will take care of that. Well, well they're not. That's not my kid. Uh, I, I don't get paid to do that. Well, I, we've had this discussion before. I'm not going there again, so I'm just, I'm just going to let it slide. It's just innocence. It's just boys being boys. You know, they're they're allowed to be kids. We choose passivity because it was the example and somewhat the DNA that's been passed down to us from our first father, Adam, and we've internalized this. And for generations, we've also been shown how to avoid Responsibility. I mean, Adam being in the garden, what happens after this? They eat the fruit. They, it says that their eyes were opened. They discover that they're naked. They cover themselves with leaves. They hide from God. All right? So all of the, all the passivity and rejecting responsibility is already going on. God comes in and goes, Hey, where is everybody? And, and Adam is back here going, uh, We're hiding because we, we're naked. And he's like, Who told you you were naked? And then God's putting two and two together. He goes, did you eat the fruit that I told you not to? And and Adam, the first trial, right? God, the perfect judge, is standing there. And Adam goes like this. Did I eat the fruit? Um, He knows that he ate the fruit. Uh, If he knows anything, he knows that God knows that he ate the fruit. And he goes, the woman you gave me, she did it. so disappointing. That idea of rejecting and avoiding responsibility. I mean, have we ever seen that in your homes? Have you ever looked at your kid when you know that they did A, B, or C, and you go, why did you do this? I didn't do it. You're like, I'm not stupid. I see it. It happened. You did it. They're like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And it's like somehow you have to bring in judge, jury, 12 witnesses, and then they might go, well, I might have done that. You know? It's following the example of Adam. What would happen in our culture if we would instead internalize this idea that I am responsible to be beside my brothers and sisters, to help them walk towards Jesus? We're not going to walk for them. We're going to accept that responsibility, and not if, but when I make mistakes. I'm going to accept responsibility for them. I'm going to admit my mistakes. I'm going to admit that I have failed in in my desire to be obedient to God, and I've hurt myself, and I've hurt others. What would happen if we lived in a culture that accepted responsibility that way? Could you imagine what that would be like? It's a tall order, I know, and a passive man will say, someone else can do that. I, I, that's not for me. Adam also lacked courageous leadership. This is leadership that puts others before himself. When I look at the idea of leadership, as I look at Scripture, the word that most often comes beside the term leadership in Scripture is sacrificial and is servant. And I look at this in light of how Adam behaved in the Garden of Eden. And I I hate to think about this, the leadership that was modeled there, that if while he was there beside Eve, listening to the liar, the deceiver, make his case on why they should rebel against God, that if at some point Adam goes, yeah, I think this is a good idea. But I'm going to let her do it first. I can't tell you what that does. It, I get angry. I get sad that a man would allow the one that he loves to take the fall in his stead. The one that God has called to, like, like he was the leader. There was a reason that when God came to call them in account, he said, Adam, where are you? Like he called the man out. What have you done? How have you led? And that was it. And so instead, our culture views leadership as control, power, manipulation, instead of service and sacrifice. And what would cause a man to behave this way? I'm fully convinced that what happened was somehow for Adam... It was the serpent that had deceived him. It was Satan that had deceived him, that he had a better path for him to take than what God had laid out. God made his his path perfectly clear. He was like, look, you have a work to do. I want you to live in the garden, a will to obey. Obey me. Don't eat the fruit of this one tree, and I've given you a woman to love. That is how I want you to lead. That's how I want you to live. This is your purpose and Adam walked away from it because he was deceived, and he was tricked into thinking that there was something better. And like, we we shake our heads, and we wonder, why would he do that? But at the same time, I wonder if we as modern men are tempted to do the same thing. Like, we're tempted to be satisfied with the lesser version of what God has waiting for us. Like if we're honest with ourselves, uh, are our hearts more tied closely to things in creation than eternity that waits for us? Do things in creation, the things that we're pursuing here, get more of our creativity, more of our emotion, more of our energy, more of our resources than things that are eternal? Because it's very simple that God has called us to love God and to love people. If we're going to boil it down to those two things. And so can you say that the desires of your heart, if you were to have an honest moment here, men, are more pointed at you and your goals or the betterment of others coming to know who Christ is? Where do you spend the majority of your energy, your passion, your creativity, your God given gifts? So, if it's doom and gloom in the first Garden of Eden, I want to give you some hope that happened in another garden. In Mark 14, Jesus knows that his crucifixion is coming, and he takes a few of his close friends, he steps away into a garden. And he's faced to wrestle with the compelling vision of manhood that God had placed before him. And he's broken to the point of sweating blood. He's he's praying. he's, He's pleading one time, two times, a third time, "'Father, not my will, but your will be done.'" And then he gets up, and I want you to read this because in a short verse, just like in Genesis 3, in a short verse in Mark 14, verses 41 and 42, he returns a third time, and this is what he says. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Because they had kept falling asleep while he was praying. He said, Enough. Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We see Jesus not following the pattern of Adam. Like the authentic man, he rejects passivity because that's what an authentic man does. An authentic man rejects passivity. He doesn't hide from what's coming. And not only that, but Jesus steps towards it. In addition to this, the authentic man accepts responsibility, and that's exactly what Jesus did and does. He accepted the responsibility of redeeming mankind for the sake of God, for the sake of unity between God and the the people that he created and loves. He knew that he had a work to do, and it was to redeem the world of all of their mistakes, and that includes us. He accepted the responsibility of it. Nobody else was going to do it. It was his to do, and he said, I will do it. Not only that, he led courageously. I think about the crucifixion that Jesus endured. The most humiliating, dehumanizing punishment known to man, arguably past, present, or future, and he endured it. He endured what we deserved because that's leadership. He stepped in where no one else could to do what no one else could ever do out of love and leadership. And why was he able to do this? What gave him the courage and the ability to stand up and go, let's go? Now is the time. I see this shift in his confidence, in his purpose, honestly, in his authentic manhood and masculinity, and it's because he knew there was a greater reward waiting him. The authentic man understands that we are to love the people of this world, but our hearts are set apart to somewhere else beyond this life, and that's where Jesus was. And it gave him the courage to reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect God's reward. So, men of Third City, this is authentic manhood. It's not perfection. And I wonder what would happen should one generation of men I even wonder one generation of men of this church would choose to live authentically. What would that do to this city, this state, this region? What could it do? If we would reject all of the mistakes of the first Adam and step in and follow the example that Christ has set. You're not going to be perfect, but you can authentically follow, and as you make mistakes, get back up and go again, we could see a greater reward that would notice us moving towards our Father, the sacrifice of a Father and a compelling vision for manhood that was given to us at the cross. And when we take communion, I love thinking about that moment and I love that we get to hold it and we get to contemplate what we're doing in this moment together as a church. We all get to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And as followers of Jesus, when you're taking communion, you're both acknowledging your need for it and your willingness to submit to the vision of Jesus. This morning, men, as you're holding that bread and that cup, having been placed in your hand, and your Father God looking you in the eyes, saying, look at my son, Jesus. Will you follow him? Be a man. Father, this moment where we get to be with you, allow our hearts to submit to your leadership. Help us to remember your love. Father, I ask that 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 love would compel us to a humble obedience. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week, Dan shared a story of a son uh, that rebelliously left the presence of his father. And it's one of my favorite stories. It's so full of mercy, so full of grace. And Dan talked about the the way that the son approached the father. And what I love about this story is the authentic masculinity demonstrated in the father and how he approached his son. What an example to follow. We don't see any of the past story of mistakes that that father had made, but we get this clear picture of a father that assertively runs to his son. And he accepts that responsible role as a father to speak life into his son. And he does so. And that courageous leadership in doing that, that all of his, rest of his family witnessed this moment. And it's because he was hanging on to the greater reward that was awaiting both him and his son in eternity. Third City, that is a call to authenticity. Men of Third City, would you love and live in a way that would reflect the way that Christ did not in perfection just authentically following the one that sacrificially loved you thanks for listening to the third city christian church podcast please join us for one of our worship services at 9 10 15 or 11 30 a.m in grand island and at 10 15 a.m in broken bow on facebook live and at thirdcityc.online.church each sunday For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.